0: Somewhat different that I did not want to be, but I'm new here. Will you show me around?
1: not that easy.
2: And welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, oh, February 7th. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco. We're on Maloney land. And one of the many ways to learn more about the land that we're on is to go to ramaytush.com. And that's r-a-m-a-y-t-u-s-h.com. There you can find out the history of the land. And as we also recognize that colonialism still continues to this day, and we are a part of it. Also, I would like to encourage folks, if you're able to go to the Seguritay Land Trust, and you can find that. Also, if you type in Shumi Land Tax, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I Land Tax, and you'll be brought to their page, and you can learn more information there as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Got started a little bit earlier uh, than anticipated. I've uh, been playing some music. And it was one of those days where I did my best to prepare as much as I could and get here and have everything in order. And you know what happens when sometimes we plan a bit much and then things don't quite work out as smoothly as we'd hoped. So starting a little bit early uh, for me, I do have some music that I'll be playing, continuing. This is an album that comes out today that comes out, has come out currently, presently, today. And this is um, from an album call um, reimagining uh, it's by uh micaiah excuse me micaiah McCraven, and that's um from gil scott heron and he uh took gil scott heron's uh, last spoken word album and has put music to it so we're playing that as well and you can find that online and please do support your very local record store oh i am oh, i am anyway so the album's called I'm New Here. So yeah, wanted to Um or We're New Again is the is are we imagining is the full name of the album, so please do pick it up. And we're playing tracks throughout the 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 show. I guess I might as well get started. Uh back lately oh, definitely starting a bit earlier than I would like. Okay, putting my thoughts together. I've been up for a number of hours, so it's not like I just rolled out of bed. It's more like, oh, I, my sleep pattern, overall, it's been good, and then last night, not, not so good. So I did have, back when my life was a little bit more unstable, or very much more unstable, I would have, my dreams tended to be more positive, and I think that was a way of, I was just trying to soothe myself and comfort myself in a way, so at least when I was sleeping, things seemed to fit in place and I felt more comfortable and comforted. And now, that thankfully, my life is a little bit more stable. Um, my dreams have become a little bit more erratic, a little bit more complicated, complex. I'm going into my history a little bit and my past memories and unpacking a lot of things and processing a lot of things, and it's sometimes difficult and dangerous and just a bit discouraging. And I'm also just glad that this is only my dream life. So not that to say that the world is also experiencing a lot of difficult things right now. However, my dream last night, I find myself at a gay club and then there's a shooting. And then someone I see someone get shot and I try to like compress the wound and stop the bleeding. And then I get shot as well or I can feel it. And thankfully we survive. Um, but yeah, it's super fucking traumatic and difficult and scary. And then next to my dream, they're making a movie of it because I think Hollywood kind of likes to think, think hey, wow, here's a traumatic event. Um, what can we do to profit off it and water, water it down instead of, I don't know, maybe preventing it from happening again or do whatever one can do to support the survivors of it. Instead, it's like, let's put it out there for the masses and put a price tag on it and make some money. Anyway, so in my dream, that's what was happening. And I was like, oh, they're making a movie of this really traumatic event. And then to make matters worse, for some reason, uh, I guess, dame judy dench was a character in in the movie however she was played by scarlett johansson and i was just like ugh. ugh." so i'm relaying this to somebody and they're like oh i don't understand why you're so upset which i think is also just kind of like a 2020 thing like people some folks are like why are you so upset about x y and z and it's like oh my goodness so there's the additional labor of having to explain why we're upset about things so then i say oh well you know Scarlett Johansson uh, took the part of a of an Asian woman, and then she also wanted to go up for the role of a trans masculine person, and then she even said she could play a tree. And I'm not using the rule of threes, the comedy rule of threes, that like she did that herself. I'm just reporting it. And uh, I recognize there are far more significant bullies. She's not a bully, you know. Like there's issues in the world, and there's you know people to address. I don't want to like it's not like I'm going to waste my energy on that. It's also just like, yep, this is the world that we're living in. And I think I also was inspired. I was, um, I'll just take, take a little bit of the story. I was. I don't want to say too much. Long story short, I was talking to uh, a fellow actor who um, he's black, and he was saying that he only, or not only, but for the most part, when he goes up for casting, he gets cast as like either like a cop or a sheriff or a criminal, and like how limited that is uh, as an actor, and how like the media just you know perpetuates stereotypes and white supremacy and so i think that was like in my mind last night as i woke up and just thinking about how the stories that are told through the media and through entertainment and through hollywood end up just supporting that the ideology that we're, we're living in and and everyone is suffering under and also recognizing the militarism of it they're making fucking top gun too which is a joke and i'm so angry and I was trying to find online, I guess now I'm talking, now I'm awake, here we go. I haven't ranted on the show for a while, so here we go. Uh, I try to usually, you know, keep it quiet for my own opinions, or, well, I mean, I let myself, t- anyway. So, what I had heard was, so Tom Cruise did Top Gun in 1986, and then he went to do The Color of Money with Paul Newman, and Paul Newman, who has better politics, uh, was like, hey, uh, this movie is a bunch of trash, I don't think he said that verbatim, don't quote me, uh, but he was like, why don't you take a look at and to other you know, veterans' experiences in war and how a lot of folks either don't come out alive and or come out with a lot of harm done to them, not to mention what happens to the folks in other countries that we invade. Again, my words, not his. And so it was then that Tom Cruise got looped into doing Born on the Fourth of July, which I think we all can say is a far better film than Top Gun and also just far better message as well. And also, uh, yeah, Ron Kovic, his book, Reddit. Uh, yeah, anyway... So, there's a thing, so then I'm kind of like disappointed as to why he's making Top Gun Two now. It's like, did you forget what Paul Newman said to you, and like, why not make an anti war film like why why not? We need more of those, and then we also know how much the military goes into gives to Hollywood with their just giving so much money, and like how many movies are based on you know gratuitous violence and this idea of oh, it's good versus bad and and not about human dramas and storytelling and truth. it's just, especially painting America as this, oh, okay. So then there's, of course, we got some more elections that were rigged. What else is new? It's United States, it's America. That's what happens here and many other places. It's like, oh, we don't like other places that rig their elections, but we're gonna do it here too. So, you know, have fun with that.
3: Oh goodness.
2: (sighs) I needed to get that out. Really did. I was honestly planning on just starting by playing three songs. So kind of jumped into this opening of the show. Point being, uh, I would, I really appreciate it when actors and producers and artists and folks create stories that uh, show complexities of human beings and also show more about cooperation instead of uh, competition and war and violence because there's too fucking much of it. Folks in New York have been continuing to protest against the MTA. They've been, the MTA, of course, has been like. Just hiring, they hired more cops to harass people, and of course the cops cost more money than they're actually losing by folks who are unable to pay the fare. Uh, obviously, I'm of the opinion that public transportation should be free, and it could be free. It's just that the folks who have the the money decide not to invest in it, and our tax dollars unfortunately go to military and causing harm elsewhere instead of providing health care and money for infrastructure and schools and public transit, and to me it seems like it's a It's a pretty easy answer right there It's not like we we can't do it. Just some folks in positions of power choose not to. so how do we change things without being completely cynical? <sighs> I don't know I'm I mean, we do know there are a lot of folks who are taking action and I am so appreciative of folks who do that. And I do feel like folks, there are folks who could try to go inside the system and change it that way. And at least recognize that the system's broken and still can have influence and try to push things in the right direction. And there are also folks who believe doing things outside the system. And I totally respect that and people striking and taking to the streets and rioting and boycotting. And there's so many different ways that folks can show up and change things. So I am I am hopeful because I feel like I have to be cuz if not then I drown in despair and that doesn't if I you know if I can't help myself I can't help anyone else. So I try to think about that. Oh yes, Tartine, the workers at Tartine speaking of you know worker solidarity, they have decided to form a union so that's great. The more folks, the more workers who organize, the better off we will be as a planet. So really grateful for that and sending lots of love and solidarity out to them. We do have a guest scheduled to come in at 12.30. I add some stories. I haven't quite written them down. It's a lot, you know, the usual people in positions of power causing a lot of harm. Thankfully, now there's an investigation into the Department of Public Works. Thank goodness. They've been doing a lot of horrible things, including putting boulders out on the street, uh, stealing, harassing, assaulting, arresting uh, folks who are unhoused, and... um, Hopefully, this will move things in a more humane direction. One can hope, where I don't know, folks are given resources that they need. Again, not that hard. I don't understand. See, I'm not, I'm not even sitting. I'm not even sitting down. I'm just standing up and ranting. I haven't done stand-up in a while yet. I still feel pretty comfortable with a microphone here, and uh, just the idea that like, I don't understand something. I don't understand is like the lack of empathy that folks have. And like, I get that when I, when I have a bad day, I definitely have a lot less empathy to give. And, and at the same time, I still try not to be an asshole to people. I realize that might happen, but the days when I'm feeling better, I am really, I try to be nice to people. Like it comes naturally. Like I want to smile at people and I'm feeling good. I want other people to feel good. And I don't understand why folks would want to unleash their bad feelings upon others. Why would one wish, especially a strange someone you don't even know, why would one want to cause harm to somebody or make their life harder? Don't we want to make everyone's life easier? Life as itself is difficult enough as is. There's challenges. There's tribulations. There's uh, climate change happening. There are so many difficulties. There's illnesses and disease, and there, capitalism is killing all of us. Why in the midst of all of this, all this suffering and pain that people go through, why would anyone go out of their way to cause deliberately cause more cruelty and more suffering? I mean it's I don't get it and it's hard I can't like reach across the aisle I can't like make peace with someone who wants to wish harm for me and or harm for others. I can't. I get that there are folks who are able to do that and able to meet them, you know, have a conversation and I get that education is the way to do it. If everyone, I often think about what if folks, there wasn't the brainwashing that there has been in this country and around the world. If we actually knew people's history, if there wasn't the media doing all the fearmongering and so many politicians doing the fearmongering and what if all resources were equally distributed amongst all, which is totally possible. What if we lived in this world where everyone, there was so much more ease and people were able to explore and create art and there wasn't this having to work to survive and so many people are in debt and people are afraid to go to the hospital because they can't afford health care. I mean, everything is so backwards and like, what if it was the opposite of that? And why wouldn't someone wanna push for that? Why wouldn't someone wanna help create that? And I recognize it's a, it's a movement and folks have been doing this for generations. And again, it's like, how do we undo so much of what has been done? Because it hasn't always been like this. I just I have a lot of difficulty. Like I try to be an understanding person. I wanna have empathy and meet people where they're at. And at the same time, if someone's first coming to me with like just cruelty and like the feeding on that misinformation and wanting to harm people it's really hard for me to to see them eye to eye I guess it feels good to get that out. I didn't mean for make this like a little 5-minute, 10-minute therapy. Oh, gosh, we're already at 20 minutes for the show. Wow. Okay, I've been talking a long time. All right, so what I'm going to do – I'm gonna go back to the music. I didn't bring in records today. I was I worked this morning. I usually make sure I have Fridays off so I can come in here, and um, and that doesn't always work. So uh, I left work a little bit early this morning because I was like I still want to get here and set up, and then you know how these things go. Even though, even when you leave early, I still just like rush in here. It's a lot hotter than it should be in February. I've had a lot of bad February, especially like living on the East Coast. It's super cold here. It's really hot, so I was just kind of sweating, and I was like, uh, I, just, I caught, caught, caught the Muni, I got, got the train and the bus, and no, no, no. Anyway, long story short, I'm here. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in, by the way. I'll do a plug for the station. Mutiny Radio is uh, a creative space here, and we could certainly use your support. Folks, please come through. We got shows here. You can listen in on your favorite podcasting platforms that we're on iTunes or on Spotify. You can directly go to the website mutinyreader.fm. You can check out all the shows that are here. There's also past shows that have been here. We keep the archives up, which is pretty cool. If you're interested in doing a show here of your own, you can also do that. You get two hours a week to do any type of show you want. You can rent the space. we got the Comedy Festival coming up in March, so please do come out if you like to laugh. And We also have a GoFundMe up because it's got to pay rent here and uh, it's difficult making ends meet. Keeping a space open and alive. So if you're able to, totally would appreciate that. Super awesome. Cool. All right. I'm going to continue playing album, uh, the songs from We're New Again. And if I end up stopping quickly like I did last time, it's because uh, there's like an ad has popped up or something. So I'm going to just make sure this is all set up and ready to go. And this song is called Running. And we'll be back uh, in a bit after this. So please do stay tuned.
0: Oh, and here we go. Because I always feel like running. Not away. Because there's no such place. Because if there was, I would have found it by now. Because it's easier to run, easier than staying and finding out you're the only one who didn't run. Because running will be the way your life and mine will be described, as in the long run, or as in having given someone a run for his money, or as in running out of time, 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 time. Because running makes me look like everyone else Though I hope there will never be cause for that Because I will be running in the other direction Not running for cover Because if I knew where cover was I would stay there and never have to run for it Becauseing Because the thing I fear cannot be escaped, eluded, avoided, hidden from, protected from, gotten away from Not without showing the fear as I see it now because closer, clearer, no sir, nearer because of you and because of that nice that you quietly, quickly be causing because I always feel like running and because you're going to see me run soon and because you're going to know why I'm running then, you'll know then because I'm not going to tell you now. I always feel like running.
2: Welcome back. So we play in a little bit more here. So please do stay tuned, and please forgive me for these uh, ads popping up. Support your local grocery store. How about Rainbow? Yeah, there we go. Shop at Rainbow. There's our ad for the show.
0: I was God. I was God. To get I believe that the spirits are your your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents and their, parents and their and your bloodstream they your body constantly. Because they they want you to live on because they want to live on. And they're trying all the time to tell you shit and if you just spend a few minutes with yourself, so, you would hear them. You would hear them. My grandma down south where my uncle was leaving and my grandfather had just left for heaven they said and as everyologist would certainly note I had no strong male figure right but Lily Scott was absolutely not your male order room service typecast black grandmother I was moved in with her temporarily just until things were packed. Until this was patched, until that was patched. Until I became, at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, the patch that held Lily Scott, who held me. And like them four, I became one more. And I loved her from the absolute marrow of my bones. Clock washed midnight away, bringing the, dawn, bringing, the dawn, bringing the dawn. Oh God, I must be dreaming. Time to get up again, and time to start up again. Pulling on my socks now. Where did the night go? Should have been asleep when I was sitting there drinking beer and trying to start another letter to you. I don't know how many times I didn't write again last night. Should have been asleep when I turned the stack of records over and over, so I wouldn't be up by myself. Where did the night go? Should go to sleep now and say, yeah, well, fuck a job, man. because I spend it all on unlined paper and can't get past. Dear baby, how are you? Brush my teeth and shave. Look outside. Sky is dark. Thinking may rain. Where did you? Dreaming. Sky is dark, think it may rain Sky is dark, oh God, I must be dreaming Sky is dark, think it may rain Sky is dark, oh God, I must be dreaming I've been asleep when I turned the stack of records over and over and over and over
2: Back to the weekly review. I am joined here by Jackie Fielder. Jackie, thanks for being here.
4: Of course, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, I was looking. I just mentioned I was looking at your website earlier, and I totally agree with everything on there as far as what you would like out of this this world and what you will be fighting for in this <laughs> upcoming election. So, Thank I was hoping you, you could uh, introduce yourself and. Start wherever you'd like.
4: Yeah. Um, my name is Jackie Fielder. I am an educator and organizer running for San, this is state Senate seat here in district 11, which encompasses San Francisco, uh, Daly city, coma and parts of South San Francisco.
2: Yeah. And what inspired you to run?
4: Well, um, if you step outside mm-hmm. and look around, there are people sleeping on the streets, mm-hmm. um, It's almost like you have to be rich to have a stable place to live here, Mm -hmm. in this district, the larger Bay Area. I grew up in Southern California, and I came out here to go to Stanford, where I graduated in 2016 with a bachelor's in public policy and an MA in sociology. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I graduated, I've been working on a public bank, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically getting our money out of wall street Mm -hmm. and investing it in, in entities that we actually need, like small businesses, Mm -hmm. renewable energy, affordable housing.
3: Um,
4: but I'm running because in the same vein of following the money from, you know, pipelines going through indigenous lands, from private prisons to wall street, I am following the money directly to our own elected officials
5: um
4: in sacramento right now we have a housing crisis that so far the solutions that have been proposed have been largely market-based we also have tremendous inequality and that's well known here especially in san francisco but um there's not a lot of action and there's very little talk of wealth redistribution yeah um there's very little talk about solutions outside of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm one per kind of person that doesn't believe that the market will save us.
2: Yep, I also agree, as millions, at the very least, would agree as well.
4: Yeah, I'm running as an open Democratic Socialist. I've been a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, San Francisco chapter since 2018. Mm -hmm. I was actually recruited to run the No on H campaign, which successfully defeated the San Francisco Police Officers Association's own use of force ballot measure. Yeah. But um, I'm running because there is... So much on the line for our public schools, for mm-hmm. our housing, for health care, for the climate. Yes. And the market-based, uh, quote-unquote, solutions that are being put forth in our own capital are not sufficient. And if anything, I think that they, they do more harm than good.
2: I absolutely agree. I was saying earlier just how the funds go to militarization of the police here or in schools and mm-hmm. militarization abroad as well, as opposed to healthcare, housing. The basic needs, education, right, basic things that people need.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the public bank because I was hoping I could learn a little bit more about that. I'm a, a fan of credit unions, and then also, I've known that there have been definitely folks wanting for people to take their money out of the big banks. So I was curious as to how, how would a public bank differ from a credit union?
4: Yeah, so a public bank is basically any bank that is owned by a public entity, mm-hmm. any local government agency or state government agency. Um, they're very popular outside of the US. In you know Germany, they have a very strong public banking system. Mm-hmm. We have here in the continental US, the Bank of North Dakota. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, wow. They are, uh, they they earned about one billion dollars in profits over the last twenty years that they were then able to return into their general fund, mm-hmm. alleviating taxpayer burden yes, and going yeah. towards things like public schools and and all of the services of yeah. a state government. But you know they also on the other side they funded the law enforcement militarization at Standing Rock. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So they're a great example of what could be done and also, you know, for better, or for worse. Right. Um, here in San Francisco, I founded the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition mm-hmm. in order to actually be able to one day get our own city government monies around 12 billion dollars wow. out of the wall street Holy banks j- that's... and hopefully into a public bank yeah that can invest in all these things that we actually need
2: yeah and i saw on your website you're also in in support of uh free muni or public transit yeah and that's one thing that could totally happen if um,
4: people. Yeah, it. yeah the the republican candidate in this particular race um you know said that I was for, for free stuff and higher taxes. And it's not far from the truth. I think that public transportation, education, housing, health care should be human rights. Right. And that necessitates them being uh, extremely affordable, if yes. not free. Absolutely. Um, which also necessitates the wealthiest individuals and corporations paying their fair share.
2: Yes. Which they absolutely can. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's. It's like not that difficult. I think for a lot of us, it's like not that difficult. Like the solutions are there. However, right. it's a matter of how How does one convince other people who might just be unaware. And I think part of that has to do with the miseducation in this country.
4: Right. And, and so for, much brainwashing. You know, for a public bank, um, it would actually not serve as a direct kind of uh, individual's, you know, regular run of the mill bank. I wouldn't be able to really open an account mm-hmm. at, the future public bank of San Francisco. Um, This would be an infrastructure bank that largely supports credit unions, smaller banks that are already plugged into the local economy. And it would just pile on the capital that they need to expand.
2: Oh, excellent. Yeah. So what's next in the steps for it to become... More official, or to be created.
4: Well, we need the financials and the kind of business plan, um, shareholder structure, governance structures, mm-hmm. um, and we need a lot of studying because we need to get it right. Um, you know, with especially with uh, concerns about the politicization of the bank operations. We don't want this bank to be politicized or another place for politicians to enact corrupt behavior. Yes. Decisions. Yes. Um, and so we really want it insulated from the government. Um, so on the day to day, it's going to be bankers running it and we have to figure out the relationship, you know, how to balance that kind of accountability and transparency with independence. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be a question for hopefully a task force, another task force. Yes. Um, coming up this year to look at different governance models Um, that strike that correct balance and that are able to put forward business plans and business models that actually reflect our regional economy's needs. Yeah.
3: Wow.
2: That's awesome. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So the ordinance is being considered right now and hopefully being passed next month.
2: Excellent. Well, hopefully for the folks out there who already have your ballots to like, yeah. And there's a proposition that's linked to that? No, this so term? this
4: is an ordinance in front of the Board of Supervisors. Oh, I see. Okay. Not going to the ballot.
2: Got it. And so can San Francisco residents go into the Board of Supervisors and voice their support when they have it open to comments?
4: Yeah. Um, it's, it's easiest to follow the Public Bank Coalition on uh, social media. Okay. Uh, we have events, you know, we put up events whenever we mobilize to City Hall and City Hall is where we need to go to, to have our voices heard.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Well, hopefully with the New board of supervisors that's hopefully leaning, a, seems like it's leaning a little bit more left. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. Um,
4: we'll so far, we have a veto proof majority of the mm-hmm. board of supervisors, meaning we have eight of 11 supervisors co sponsoring. That's great. Um, And so that's not even having gone to a vote yet. It still needs to go to the rules committee and Mm -hmm. then it'll go on back to the board of supervisors twice more. Um, but we're confident that this will be passed.
2: Excellent. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's nice to have something to to hope for and then also just uh, recognize that change can happen by putting the energy and effort in.
4: Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. Um, I was hoping you could also, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about, um, the, the pipeline, I know, or yeah. I know one, unfortunately one of the many ones, but that you're spending time for the Dakota Access Pipeline yeah. in terms of fighting against it.
4: Yeah. So I had just graduated from Stanford in 2016 when mm-hmm. all of this was going down. Yes. It begun in earnest in 2014 when, um, tribal members at Standing Rock, uh, found out that they had this pipeline that was about to be built. Uh, within the next few years, um, they didn't. There wasn't any meaningful process of consent. Yep. Um, yeah. The the standard internationally. Uh, well, sorry, not internationally, but for the U.S. Uh, in res- with respect to infrastructure projects on indigenous lands, the standard is of consultation, which is defined as. A, an exchange of information mm-hmm. has nothing to do with consent. Consent, yeah. which is a yes or no. Right. So this pipeline company, you know, they say that they had consulted the tribe, and mm-hmm. all this means is that they exchanged information with them. Um, fast forward to 2016, they had begun. Uh, you know, they had been preparing to build this pipeline through the Missouri River, which is the only source of fresh water for the Standing Rock tribe, for the Cheyenne River tribe, of which I'm a descendant. Mm -hmm. My grandfather grew up on Cheyenne River. Um, And millions of people downstream, not even indigenous people, Um, white people in North and South Dakota too. Um, My particular family history is, is one of the many stories of, you know, broken promises. My grandmother grew up on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, uh, not far from the pipeline site, but uh, our tribe, basically tribal council decided to open up our reservation to oil drilling. And this is a very controversial decision in Indian country broadly, but also just on the Fort Berthold Reservation. Mm -hmm. Um, But her, her history and her community's history um, you know, goes back to the Garrison Dam and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers deciding to build a series of dams in the middle of the country, uh, in the Midwest, along the Missouri River. Um, basically to irrigate for white farmers. And who got the short end of the stick was the indigenous people mm-hmm. um, all along. So Lakota people, Dakota people, Hidatsa people, which is my grandmother, and so many others, so many other tribes. My grandmother and her community were were flooded, and they were promised compensation, um, but none, none of that came, um, you know. In the end there's still some people there but the community has not been the same and mm-hmm. my family actually had had been had moved to phoenix and was moving all around to la as well um so when i heard in 2016 that the army corps of engineers who's this, the same agency responsible for my grandmother's displacement was also going to be in charge of this pipeline i thought yeah. that that's not going to go well mm-hmm. um and then, of course, on as we saw on Facebook live streams and Twitter, um, we had a militarized law enforcement, not unlike the militarized law enforcement of Ferguson, mm-hmm. cracking down on unarmed water protectors, yeah. both indigenous and non-indigenous. And for me, I had been, you know, just looking at police violence here in the Bay Area yeah. from Oscar Grant to others. And then, then that issue became real for me. Um, and I wanted to find out a way that we could just cut off. I wanted to know who was, who was monetarily benefiting from this kind of violence. Yeah. Um, of course the pipeline company is, but who is putting up the capital who has the flow of money, uh, from, you know, large pockets to this particular pipeline. And of course it was wall street. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been a burgeoning local movement in Seattle led by indigenous people people there. And I got in touch with the organizers there who were trying to get their city council to divest. I wanted to do that same thing here. Yes. And so basically just got inspired to do the same thing here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got the board of supervisors after not knowing who was on the board of supervisors, (laughs) how to move local legislation, had never been to city hall. And we got this ordinance, this uh, legislation passed. It's a resolution, Mm -hmm. which is an intention. It's great first step, but it doesn't actually require any action. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, I'm not about symbolic moves. I want the real thing. Yes. So I've been working for the past few years on a public bank.
2: Yeah. That's, that's really informative. Thank you for, for sharing that. And it's, there's so much, I think just from following certain sources online, but it's so crucial just to understand exactly, not just what happened, but what led up to it. And also of course the history, which has been washed away by so much of textbooks in this country and through dominant culture
4: yeah i mean trump's election in november of that year was a done deal for the pipeline Mm -hmm. we had been holding out for then president obama to somehow come in and save the day and and it was really tough because he actually had a very unique and and formed already a relationship with the standing rock tribe He visited Standing Rock. I think it was in 2014. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, And out of all the all the reservations he could have visited, he decided to visit Standing Rock. Uh And then, you know, a few years later, we're we're waiting for him to to say, you know, let's put an injunction on this. Yes, yes. You know, go back and do the environmental impact statement or whatever. And he did that. But by the time he did that, Trump had been elected. Um, it, it was essentially meaningless. Mm-hmm. And once Trump was in office on his third day in office, he signed the fast track for not just Apple, but the, the Keystone, Keystone XL yeah. as well. Yeah.
2: I end up sighing a lot cause I don't have the words for just so much rage.
3: Yeah.
4: Like,
2: I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's And again, nothing new in terms of this country where it's just like, it's just a series of these events.
4: Yeah. Nothing new. And I, I certainly, um, did not experience any of the, I was there for a day to just drop off donations. I see there. I have friends who, you know, had struggled with PTSD after being at the camps for really long, um, having helicopters fly over and blaringly bright lights, Mm uh, run through the night um you know a lot of people were scared about infiltration which there was mm. and surveillance and whatever else um that money could buy yeah. for the pipeline security companies yeah um so it was a really um inspiring but also heartbreaking episode yes. in you know indigenous resistance history but in the in the beginning of 2017 when we were all you know realizing that this is the new state of affairs for for our country and that we had, you know, effectively lost this particular battle. Um, I I just wasn't settling for that being the end of the story. Yeah. And, you know, in moments like that, um, hope is everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, it just, it's so easy to, to slip into, you know, the darkness and feel like it's all too much to handle. And there mm-hmm. are certainly people who deserve to rest at that point. Um, but for me, who had not experienced the police violence, yes. I was ready to go.
3: Yeah. And yeah. so
4: I I decided to do what I do best and follow the money and nerd out on policies and you know find out how to move legislation and just read 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 and research. Yeah. So
2: that's so helpful and I really appreciate you also. Thank you for sharing that also with the listen with myself and the listeners because there is so much to learn and also just to know that it is possible to to take action in that way yeah. instead of feeling as you mentioned like hopeless or that we can't make a difference. But clearly, folks can.
4: Yeah. And I've been there too. And that's usually, you know, when I'm in the middle of burnout, but
2: Yes,
3: yeah.
4: that's a sign that you need to rest and, you know, you're not really helpful. Uh, at that point, you just need to take care of yourself.
2: Absolutely. And then come back when you're ready.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: Also, I'm a big fan of the idea of diversity of tactics. Like there are so many things that folks are capable of and can show up for yeah. and everyone, there's something that everyone can do at some point.
4: Yeah, exactly. There's art, there's, you know, protesting on the front line. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, talking in classes and as an educator myself, I teach a lot about movements as well.
2: That's great. Are there any like stories or anything you'd like to share about your experience as an educator?
4: Well, I am a lecturer at SF state in Mm -hmm. the college of ethnic studies. I teach race women in class was very honored to, have been tapped by the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, oh, yeah. Garza to teach that, and yeah. you know, big shoes to fill. Yes, but I I've been really just kind of uh, it's a bit of a foray into my own politicization and and coming into this particular world of resistance and activism and organizing, um, largely inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and the No Dabble movement, mm-hmm. both of which had a, mend- a tremendous solidarity with each other. Yes. Um, even through Standing Rock, even now. Um, so I I feel like, yeah, back here in San Francisco, there is a world of, of crises and a world of reasons to feel like it's all too much, especially when, you know, we have real estate developers and uh, tech companies who seemingly live in another world yeah yeah completely different world i i am now talking to voters on at bus stops and there are plenty of plenty of people who um who are are willing to talk whether they're students at sf state or people on their way to work um whether they're in service industry or tech or, or whatever but there are there are some people, largely with AirPods, who who've, who seem to to just live in this world where working class people and people of color don't exist. Mm-hmm. They they can just you can really just be in the city, um, wake up in your you know more than fifteen hundred dollar room, um, get on a shuttle, be shipped to. You know the South Bay or or somewhere else, mm-hmm. and go to work for the entire day, have free meals, free <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, have an amazing you know six figure salary and health benefits, and then come back, have your AirPods in, not talk to a single person. Yes. Yeah. And then do it all again the next day. Right. Um. And and that's not any one particular's fault. It's just the culture and the economic system and the way that we have placed such a value on, um, quote unquote, innovation and wealth accumulation yes. at the expense of a more equitable society. Yeah. Um, in the classroom, to me, this looks like uh, I really only have a handful of white students. Uh, most most of my students are students of color. Um, many of them are uh, immigrants. A few of them probably are undocumented, um, and have are are not first language English speakers, but are still incredibly um, engaged in the classroom and the material. You know, race, woman, in class, race, gender, in class, are are issues that we all we all stew in. Uh, just being here in San Francisco in in, in twenty twenty and everyone has a particular experience with it, whether they know it or not. Yes. My my job is just to bring that out and make them aware that um, these social constructs have unfortunately had a lot to do with how a person's how easy or difficult a person's life is gonna be.
2: Yeah. And one can learn, going back to what you were saying about folks kind of living in their own world, I found like I've learned so much from like, the more I meet people and the more people I've met, the more my world expands and just through storytelling and getting to know other people's experiences, the more empathy one has as well too. Oh yeah. And if there can be, I think also just with this idea of, I'm also of the generation of, I remember what life was like before the internet. And so then all of a sudden to have this like computer in one's hand and to rely on it for information, whether it's for directions or something and how that then takes away from me asking someone else for directions Mm -hmm. and how interaction has just kind of, It changed in a way that becomes, yeah, I guess a lot more individualistic.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, uh, That reminds me of a really silly, funny story about uh, LaDonna Bull Allard. She founded the Sacred Stone Camp, which was the the founding camp at Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. And someone was joking with me. She's an amazing mentor to me and, like, an auntie. Um, She is, like, the matriarch of... The standing rock, no dapple movement. And I think that someone was telling me that she didn't allow anyone to put up signs at sacred stone to mm-hmm. like, you know, indicate where the kitchen was or the bathrooms were because ah. she really wanted people to talk to each other Yes, and they, and she really encouraged people to know where they were and be familiar with the place and not, she didn't want this, this culture of just ignoring each other and, uh, not being integrated with one's surroundings.
2: Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Um, I also just wanted to touch on a couple more things. And one is that I personally have been without, I was without without stable housing for a while in my life. So I appreciate that that's definitely the housing is a big, uh, platform that you have decided to, that you've shared and been really vocal about like just, in terms of really ensuring that folks have their basic needs met and as someone who's experienced it. It's so, I'm really grateful that there are people in positions of power who really understand that and want to make a change of how things are set up.
4: Yeah. I was watching this fascinating, um, talk between these two, I guess, intellectual figures. And one was arguing that, it's incumbent on people who want to keep the status quo to defend it yes and the one that had status quo bias was saying no, it's incumbent on people who want to really radically change the system to make mm. the case. And I was just thinking about how that's the case with housing policy where so so many people's um, political opinions and just positions on elections seem to be dictated by Their living situation and, and the living situation of people around them. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could see, you know, a world in which I was very comfortable. Yeah. Didn't have to worry about rent or healthcare or I don't know, fresh food or having a higher education that was affordable. Um, it would be really hard for me to understand why anyone would want to change this system. It's worked out for me. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. I worked
4: so hard. Yeah. Or
2: inherited your wealth (laughs) in some cases. Right.
4: (laughs) And I have it pretty good. It would be hard to understand why, why people just couldn't get it together. But, um, you know, I've, I've moved in between different worlds between being at Stanford, but also growing up in, you know, uh, single family, single parent household, Mm -hmm. um, in a low income neighborhood and just seeing the different worlds, um, really, you know, intense, intense inequality here in San Francisco. But, um, that was also a shift that I had navigated going from my, my tiny low income neighborhood to a place like Stanford where it wasn't uncommon for classmates to jet around the world every single weekend. But Yeah. uh,
2: I mean, I should believe it, but I'm also just like, (laughs) wow.
4: Yeah. Um, And then, of course, graduating. I mean, I I have always promised myself to not stay in in a Stanford bubble. Mm -hmm. And I have a really hard time having um, the, you know, putting myself for a job that is only really surrounded around maximizing profit and income. Yes. I yes. just haven't been able to operate like that. Yeah. Um, and I've been very privileged to have my lecturing job, but it's one of those jobs, uh, you know, being a part-time lecturer that doesn't pay enough. One mm-hmm. job's not enough. That is, um, a phrase definitely put forward by a lot of the amazing union workers yeah. in yeah. the city, specifically local Two and their fight for the oh, yeah. hotel. Right yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, the one job not being enough is such a common, experience among young people, working yep. class people, uh, people of color, and, and especially here in this district. But, um, you know, uh, I was one of those people that had to take time out of the, the housing circus and I, I couldn't, you know, afford rent. So mm-hmm. I slept on friends' couches yep. and Same. in my van, it was not going to be a long-term thing. It was short-term thank goodness and there are levels to homelessness yes yes. i did not experience the kind of you know sleeping on a grate Mm -hmm. i have some sort of a safety net with my family and my friends Mm -hmm. they would they would never let me go hungry or unsheltered in the elements yes um so you know uh that's the situation here in the bay area and that's that's well known unless you know you live in the kind of world where you and your friends are housing secure and mm-hmm. have never thought about a situation which you might be sleeping in a van. Um, I also feel like uh, a lot of people um, wanna, th- wanna think that our housing crisis is one simply of economics where we if we just build enough, the price of housing and rents will come down. And that's currently uh, the view of the current state senator. Yeah, it's not my view.
2: Nor mine. <laughs> nor many other people. I just have to say it out loud.
4: Um, across California, we have a surplus of 300,000 units yep. above, above moderate income.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, the shortage, you know, let's say there is the, the few million unit shortage, it's most acutely felt at the extremely low income, very low income, low income, and moderate income levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets worse as you go down yes. that income scale. Um, and so, you know, we have to, we have to come to some understanding about how we got here and I have a different view of how we got here. I think that if we had rent control, if we had tenant protections, Mm -hmm. if we had, you know, if the government had intervened to take units off the speculative market, we would be in a much different situation Mm -hmm. than we are now. Um, for every two units of housing that we build, we lose one in the city. So we need to talk about preservation because we have been bleeding and we've been bleeding for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, The the interests, you know, unfortunately, are there in Sacramento and they are making the rounds of of the halls, um, pushing for legislation that largely maximizes profit. It doesn't build for need. It builds for profit. And so I'm about building for need.
2: Yes. Yeah. And also makes me think about Moms for Housing and how many other activists who have, you know, there's like so many vacant homes, you know, you know as you mentioned. And then also I saw on your website, I'm just going to, sorry if I'm talking really quickly, um, just to, to repeal Costa Hawkins and also the Ellis Act. And I know so many folks who have been evicted for, you know, no fault of their own.
4: Right. So here in, in California, we have the Ellis Act, which upholds this really, you know, Gross system of landlords being able to evict an entire building of tenants for no cause. Um, That's why we want the the other side of that, which is just cause. Yes. You know, only if you break your lease, and only if you have these egregious violations of your your agreement with your landlord should you be evicted. Ellis Act has been largely responsible for so many different buildings being flipped or Mm -hmm. entirely demolished and built into luxury condos uh, here in District 11 and the broader Bay Area. Um, But we also have this other act in the California Code that is the Costa-Hawkins Act, Mm -hmm. and that severely restricts and limits municipalities' ability to implement or expand rent control. Here in San Francisco, we have Probably some of the best rent control in the state, mm-hmm. but it's still not enough to cover everyone. Um, and I, I think that universal rent control should have happened yesterday. Yes. But it's yeah. not because we have special interests from the real estate lobby yes. who pour millions of dollars every single year into the state legislature races, including this one. And right now, the Currency Center is the most real estate backed politician in the, in the legislature.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Whew. Okay. So we're, we're, um, coming towards like the end of the half hour or so. So I also wanted just to put out the word for folks, if folks would like to volunteer for your campaign and or donate and, or get the word out, what are the best ways for folks to do that?
4: Yeah. So Jackie for Senate.com J A C K I E F O R Mm -hmm. Senate.com. Uh, is the best place to go. You can hit the Get Involved tab and sign up to volunteer. And also, there's a check mark for if you want to host a fundraiser. Um, checks can be there. The information is there on the website, but you also need to include your employer to make sure that you're not a real estate speculator. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I well, we're we have an amazing volunteer base Excellent. so far. Just being, I don't know less than 70 days out since I announced. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- ballots have already dropped yeah, on Monday. Yeah. So we are, we are racing to, to let everyone know in the city that I'm running and that there's mm-hmm. a different option that we don't have to compromise on our values just because times are tough. Yes. Um, and that, you know, if people rise up and do the work, we might be able to do something.
2: Absolutely. That's very inspiring. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Yeah. And also, I um, also follow you on Twitter. So also if folks want to follow you on twitter um with your handle
4: at j-a-c-k-i-e-f-i-e-l-d-e-r underscore jackie fielder underscore got it great instagram as well
2: yeah i found like a lot of information from that as well so thanks for sharing that do you have anything else you'd like to share or say before Um, we wrap
4: up you know, this is a, a movement for educators, for students, for unhoused people, for renters. I've been endorsed by the California Teachers Association, yeah. San Francisco Tenants Union, hopefully a lot more soon, Excellent. as well as our revolution. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited, and it's it's a, if you want to pick up a sign, we yes. also...
2: Yeah, I was going to say we should put one up, yeah, put one up
4: here. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we need all the help that we can get
2: excellent cool well, thanks so much for being here and please vote for jackie on march 3rd and or before if you've already received your ballots
4: <laughs> thank you
2: great thanks for being here we're gonna take a bit of a music break and then we'll be back again uh, after this stay tuned
6: Valentine's
2: Day. Um, do something nice. That's me trying to interrupt the ad. Please stay tuned. We'll be playing some more music. Thanks so much for tuning in to the weekly review on Mutiny Radio. If you're interested in listening to previous programs, their archive is up on the Mutiny Radio website, and you can find that at mutinyradio.fm. If you click on the podcast tab, you can go into the archive and check out more episodes there.
0: I know you've been hurt by someone else I can tell by the way carry you
2: Welcome back to Weekly Review. We are playing songs from We're New Again, the new album. It's called A Reimagin. we're, excuse me, we're- let me slow down a moment. We're New Again, A Reimagining by Micaiah McCraven, And yeah, we'll play a few more tracks and then we'll get back with some more news stories for you. Stay tuned.
0: suffers uh Off like I do. I am a piano player. I, I doubt in a lot of shit because I'm saying, hey, I'm 60 years, you got to do primarily, <laughs> really, I I play piano. I write, and then I, and then I play what I wrote or whatever. I play, and then I write what I play. You know, <laughs> We jump back away. But it all works into that.
2: and welcome back to the weekly review this is roman here we are broadcasting live from mutiny radio there are a couple news stories and if you want to follow i end up retweeting a lot of news stories you can follow me on twitter at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r excuse me so I also wanted to provide action items for folks, because I mentioned earlier lots of ways folks can show up and participate. So this is a uh, protest that's happening today at Libby Schaaf's State of the City Address, which is happening today, which is February 7th, Friday, February 7th, uh, 5 p.m. at the Oakland Museum of California on Oak Street. There's uh, Indie Bay, which I really su- support. Yay, follow Indie Bay. You can follow them at Indie Bay. I-N-D-Y-B-A-Y, or go to IndyBay.org, and I'll read a little bit of what they have shared. And this is The Terrible State of Oakland from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. It's a protest. Uh, The organizer is The United Front Against Displacement. And you can email them at go at riseup.net. They have a phone number listed as well. Uh, and it's going to be in front of the main entrance of the Oakland Museum of California, which is at 1000 Oak Street in Oakland. The United Front Against Displacement and the West Oakland Wood Community, Wood Street Community, will rally on February 7th at 5 p.m. to condemn the Oakland State of the Address, excuse me, Oakland State of the City Address, which is at 10. Excuse me. Oh, I am going so far. I, I had coffee. Maybe like eight a m now it's one twenty ish eight one twenty ish p m and now I'm feeling the effects. Wow, interesting, okay. okay, so this is happening again today, five p m at the Oakland state of the city address. 1,000 Oak Street in Oakland. The city is in a terrible state. The state of the city address is an opportunity for Mayor Shaf boo, and the city administrators to lie about the horrendous conditions of the people of Oakland. The city of Oakland has invested millions in, quote-unquote, managing and sweeping homeless people out of the site and done little to provide services, housing, or employment opportunities to the thousands of dispossessed people of Oakland. Conservative estimates put over 4,000 people on the streets of Oakland every night actual figures could be twice as high this does not account for the thousands more that are housing insecure with the rising cost of housing many are forced to live in cars trailers or with friends and extended family the situation demands that people take action and organize to end homelessness the city of oakland has constantly excuse me Consistently failed the West Oakland Wood Street community and has instead chosen to collaborate with the surrounding real estate developers that seek to evict the community. Mayor shafts office has collaborated with Fred B. Craves, a San Francisco billionaire, ew, to develop an abandoned lot in West Oakland that sits in the heart of the West Oakland Wood Street community. Craves and the city claim they plan to build a safe parking lot <sighs> Excuse me, I just rolled my eyes very and sighed at the same time. Uh, they okay, they they claim that they're going to build a safe parking. Safe parking is in quotation marks because we know what that means. Lot on Wood Street. What they leave out is that after the lease expires, which is eighteen months after it's finalized, that Craves intends to develop the land at a profit and leave the community with nothing and nowhere to go. Fred Craves, that name. Ugh. Fred Craves has even enlisted the legal services of the law offices of Alan Horowitz, um, who affirms that the focuses who focuses on evictions and who describes themselves as the evictors. Gross and gross. Okay. I maybe I'm just in the PG state of mind right now, but no. Ugh. This is not a struggle just affecting the West Oakland Wood Street community. The city of Oakland, real estate developers and law, Offices across the city collaborate to displace working people, and it is time to fight back. So they have a few photos here. City officials have invested millions in harassing and stealing from homeless people and very, and have done very little to actually help. So again, they've got more information on this. If you go to IndieBay.org, you can also support IndieBay. You can donate and get involved. They have a lot of other information there. Follow them on Twitter as well, which is where I found out about this. So again, 5 p.m. today in front of the Oakland Museum of California. <sighs> okay. Apparently it's 65 degrees in Antarctica, which is uh, it's a bit high. That's not good. And I'm going to look for another uh, more audio to share because I've been doing a lot of talking today. And I did want to also share an article from The Guardian. Chuck Sims, Africa Freed, Final Jailed Move 9 Member Released from Prison. So I didn't hear about the move bombing until I was maybe in my 20s. It's one of these things where there's so much that happens that's not taught in schools and is purposely not shared and that's state violence against the people. And so I'm going to read here. This is from the guardian and this is written by Ed Pilkington in New York. This was came out today, February 7th, 59 year old walks free from prison in LaBelle, Pennsylvania. Uh, Black radicals were held behind bars for more than four decades. (sighs) One of the great open wounds of the black liberation struggle of the 1970s has finally been healed with the release of the last member of the Move 9, the group of radicals rounded up in a Philadelphia police siege in 1978 and held behind bars for more than four decades. Chuck Sims Africa, 59, walked free from the Fayette State Correctional Institution in LaBelle, Pennsylvania on Friday morning, the youngest of the incarcerated group. He had been in custody since shortly before he turned 18. His freedom marked his reunion with his family for the first time in almost 42 years. It was also historic as it closed a chapter that had remained unfinished since the Black Power movement erupted in the late 1960s. Alongside the Black Panthers, Philadelphia's MOVE organization was central to the volatile and at times violent struggle for Black equality that lasted until the late 1980s. Members of the organization regarded themselves and still do to this day as part of a family dedicated to race equality, with all members taking the last name africa part panthers and part eco hippies they also had a commitment to environmental justice that was ahead of its time mike africa jr the son of two of the move nine and chuck said chuck's release put an end to the long and grueling campaign we will never have to shout free the move nine ever again it's been 41 years and now we'll never have to say it For Mike Africa, who is also Chuck's nephew, the release was especially poignant. He was born in a cell five weeks after his mother, Debbie Sims Africa, Chuck's sister, was rounded up in the 1978 siege and incarcerated. She gave birth to him unbeknown to the prison guards and kept him hidden with her in in the cell for the first few days of his life. The Guardian began investigating the prolonged imprisonment of the Move 9 in 2018 as part of examination into black power behind bars. At the time, all the surviving members of the group were still in custody in various Pennsylvania prisons. Members of the group described in letters, emails, and prison interviews how they had endured so many years inside while keeping their spirits high. Janine Phillips Africa said that she raised therapy dogs in her cell and grew vegetables in the prison yard, avoiding birthdays or holidays that reminded her of the passage of time. The years are not my focus, she wrote in a letter to The Guardian. I keep my mind on my health and the things I need to do day by day. Dulbert or Africa said, We've suffered the worst that this system can throw at us. Decades of imprisonment, loss of loved ones. So we know we are strong. Soon after The Guardian began its investigation, the seven surviving members of the group began to be released on parole. First up was Debbie Sims Africa, set free in June 2018. We are a peaceful people. Oh, sorry. My computer just went out. Okay. Um, apologies. It just went out. Um, okay. So when this happens, we are going to take a bit of a break and see if we can bring it up here cause we are living in the 2020 where we have cell phones or many of us have phones everywhere. So I'm going to see if I can bring up this article on cell phone and finish reading it, and then we'll take a bit of a break.
5: Um, Okay. And just
2: leafing through this so I can find the article and you can also check out the guardian, which has. Uh, a series of articles about other folks who are members of, of the Move 9 so i'm going to move down along the let's see moving down okay let's see Okay, soon after the Guardian began its investigation, the seven surviving members of the group began to be released on parole. First up was Debbie Sims Africa, set free in June 2018. We are peaceful people, she said as she stepped out of Cambridge Springs Prison. Then the other six began to emerge. One after the other, like falling dominoes. Mike Africa Sr. in October 2018, Janine Phillips Africa and Janet Holloway Africa in May of 2019, Eddie Goodman Africa in June of 2019, Delbert Orr Africa in January of 2020. Chuck Sims Africa completes the set. The Move Nine were arrested following a massive police siege of their collective headquarters and home in Powelton Village, Philadelphia on August 8th, 1978. Hundreds of police officers and SWAT teams, armed with machine guns, tear gas, bulldozers, and water cannons, surrounded the property following a long standoff with city authorities that saw the group as a threat to the community. Although, I'm going to just take a break from the article and just say these were folks who were just living their lives and supporting each other. I, I, oh, I, oh. The siege culminated in a police shootout in which MOVE members allegedly returned fire, though they denied doing so. A police officer, James Ramp, was killed in the crossfire. Nine members were arrested and held jointly responsible for Ramp's death. (sighs) despite forensic evidence showing he was killed with a single bullet. In 1980, the nine were convicted of third-degree murder and lesser offenses, and each sentenced to 30 years to life. Two of the nine, Merle and Phil Africa, died in prison. The remaining seven fought for many years to convince parole authorities that they were safe to be let out, pointing to clean discipline sheets in prison. Over the past two years, there have been no security incidents relating to Many of the paroled individuals. Wilson Good, former mayor of Philadelphia, wrote to the parole board to support Chuck Africa's bid for freedom. He said, his release will reunite a family after 40 years, and I am convinced he will be a positive contributing voice to the Philadelphia community. Good, the first black mayor of Philadelphia, was in that position on May 13th, 1985, when the second disaster relating to MOVE occurred. Following another prolonged bout of acrimony between the organization and its neighbors and city authorities, the decision was taken forcibly to evict the group from its latest headquarters then in Osage Avenue. Another shootout broke out. And when that failed to flush them out, police dropped incendiary bombs from a helicopter onto the roof of the building. A fire ensued, which was allowed to spread, eventually raising to the ground 61 homes in the overwhelmingly African-American neighborhood. Eleven people in the move house, including five children, died in the inferno. Chuck Africa's cousin, Frank, was among the adults who were killed. All the paroled members of the MOVE-9 are now preparing to mark the 35th anniversary of the tragedy. For the first time, they will be able to commemorate the event and the relatives and peers they lost outside a prison cell. And for more information, you can, if you go to theguardian.com, they have articles on many of the other folks as well. Whew. All right, I'm going to see if I can bring up some music here on the phone, take a bit of a break, find out how we'll uh, continue here now that the computer's a little bit out of out of battery here. And I'm going to find some more music by uh, Micaiah McRaven, and who's an instrumentalist, and... Yes, here is, okay, I'm gonna bring it up here
5: and let's see. you mm-hmm.
2: Right, and welcome back. So again, this is a uh, Makaya McCraven. that's spelled M-A-K-A-Y-A, M-C-C-R-A-V-E-N, and this was live set from the Red Bull Studio Sessions, which came out on November 19th, 2018. You can find that on YouTube. And I was in the mood for some Howard's that I often am, and uh, The Artist in the Time of War is a album recording that we played before on the show, and it's been a minute, so I thought I would put in some of that. And yeah, I think that's it. Uh, hopefully I didn't comment too much on Iowa aside from the fact that not all the votes were counted and it took them days and it's <sighs> <sighs> as much as I, especially the, you know, the presidential election, as much as I recognize how flawed it is and how the system is designed to again, protect the status quo, as we talked about earlier, there's still, I still have a frustration. And even though I understand that elections are rigged, it still is frustrating when uh, votes aren't counted. So let's, uh, without saying too much, let's just hope that uh, all the folks who have been organizing and doing the work, I hope that their uh, their work comes through. All right, so here's Howard's in, artist in a Time of War. I'm going to sign off. And thanks again so much for tuning in. Please do support Mutiny Radio. Go to mutinyradio.fm. Also, if you want to donate to this show, we have a Patreon set up, patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev. If you're able to donate a little bit here and there, or feel free to Venmo me, Venmo Roman-Rhymer, I think it is. Wow, that sounded really very confident. Yeah, follow me on Twitter and get in touch with me that way, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And hope everyone has a great weekend, and we'll be back not next week, but the week after. So have a great week, everybody.
7: About this topic. I won't say I've never talked. <laughs> but I've never talked about this topic. You know, the art and society. Of course, I've thought about it. My wife is a painter. I have artist friends. Some of my best friends are <laughs> <our> artists. <laughs> Some of them are here, <laughs> observing me. Uh, but as I say, yeah, I, I've th- thought about it, of course, all of us have, and uh, And what comes to mind when I think of the you know the relationship of the artist to society, what should be the relationship of the artist to society, and with me, it's always a question of what should be and not what is. But I think of the word transcendent, which is a word I've never used in public, (laughs) but it was the only thing I could come up with to describe uh, what I think about the role of the artist. And by that I mean, you know, Not, you know, Immanuel Kant's. Well, yes, sort of close to it, but not really (laughs) his idea of what is transcendent. Something like it. But the the idea is that the artist transcends the immediate, uh, transcends the here and now. The artist, well, transcends the madness of the world, transcends the madness of terrorism, transcends the madness of war. And uh, the artist thinks outside the framework and acts and paints and does music and writes outside the framework that society has, has created. And, and the artist may do s- no more than, and I don't mean to minimize it by saying no more than, the artist may do more than, you know, give us uh, beauty and laughter, uh, passion, Surprise, drama, and that's that's good. <laughs> uh, that is, the artist needn't apologize for just doing that, because in doing that, the the artist is telling us what the world should be like, even if it isn't that way now. And the artist is is taking us away from the moments of horror that we experience every day in this world, some days more than others, and, and showing us something else, showing us what is possible. There's no need for an artist to apologize about just giving us something that is passionate and beautiful and funny, or any of those. No need to apologize for that. Yeah. But, there is more. As the artist can do more, yes, should, should do more. Not only that, but more. Because the artist is also a citizen, the artist is a human being. I mean, I face that in a different way, in that uh, if, I'm, uh, if I can be classified, well, yeah, the, the society classifies me. I say, I'm a historian. That scares me <laughs> to be classified. I'm a historian, you see. but I don't want to be just a historian. And but the, the society uh, disciplines us; it puts us into a discipline. You're a historian. You're a businessman. You're an engineer. You're a this. You're a that. And the first thing somebody asks you at a cocktail party is, "What do you do?" <laughs> which means, uh, you know, what what is your profession? What is your, you know, how are you categorized? And the problem is that people begin to think that that's what they are, and that's all they are, that they're professionals in something. And you hear the word professionalism being used, and people say, uh, you've got to be professional. Whenever you hear the word, I get a little scared, because... Uh, that limits human beings to working within the limits set by this profession. As a historian, I I would face this, and there would be, during the Vietnam War, there would be meetings of of historians. Uh, Can you imagine what a wonderful feeling that is? To be among 2,000 historians at a meeting. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and I remember during the Vietnam War, this question was at one of our great meetings of historians. The war was raging in Southeast Asia, and the question was, should historians take a stand on the war? And there was a big debate on this. Really, there was a big debate on this. And uh, some of us you know, introduced a resolution saying, you know, we historians think the United States should get out of Vietnam. A simple little thing. And then there were others who said, no. Uh, It's not not that we don't think the United States should stay in Vietnam, it's not that at all. It's just that we're historians. (laughs) It's not our business. Hey, whose business is it? So the historian says, it's not my business, and the businessman says, it's not my business, and the lawyer says, it's not my business, and you know, the artist says, it's not my business, and whose business is it? You mean, we're going to leave the business of the most important issues in the world to the people who run the country? <laughs> I mean, how stupid can you be? <laughs> I mean, haven't we had enough experience Historically, with leaving the important decisions to the people in the White House or the people in Congress or the people in the Supreme Court or the people who dominate the economy. We've had lots of experience leaving the important decisions to them because the citizen doesn't know he's a citizen. He thinks he's only a doctor or a lawyer or a historian or an artist or whatever. But back in the 18th century, Rousseau said... You know, I see all sorts of people who are doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that, but where are the citizens among us? You know, everybody, everybody must be involved. There are no experts. Well, there are... I remember during the Vietnam War, I keep going back because that's... You know, There are certain historical moments when learning is more intense than at any other period. I mean, this is one of those moments, too, right now, after September 11th. But Vietnam was one of those moments when learning is compressed uh, into a short span of time and place. And one of the things we learned about during those years was about experts and about when the war started and people would ask questions, why are we there? <laughs> i said, well, listen to the experts. The experts would get on television and tell us why we're there. And I remember the British actor, an artist, right? Actors are artists. Uh, the British actor, Peter Ustinov, spoke out against the war in Vietnam. And then somebody said, Ustinov? He's an actor. <laughs> He's not an expert. And the snuff replied, there are experts in little things, but there are no experts in big things. There are experts in this fact, and that fact, and that fact, but there are no moral experts. It's important to remember that,
8: that all of it's your boy CFO here, here to let you know that the fifth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is March 1st through 7th. 2020 with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week get your tickets now on Eventbrite just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76
2: comics from all over the U.S. coming for 66 programs in seven days all here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission or if you can't be with us listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm Join us March
8: 1st to 7th for these amazing events. What kind of a future
9: Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation?
6: MutinyRadio.fm
9: Streaming live the station.
8: mutinyradio.fm,
9: fm. District of the Mission. mutinyradio.fm, fm. Radio dot FM, Mutiny Radio Radio dot FM. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast.
1: black looking and big spliff, and cruising on like, the freeway, freeway, freeway I am
7: eternal friendly
5: mm-hmm. and fraud is absolutely
9: right. I am a teddy and adolescent and I will cut Handle the Blake Henry
0: yeah, Charlie here Yeah, I have a report here Henry from your uh, from your chief nurse Major O'Houlihan she makes some accusations Henry I, I find pretty hard
7: I'm Michael Spiegelman,
9: and I am Carl Not Spiegelman.
7: Join us every Sunday, two to four p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for.
9: Let's watch a full-length movie on
7: YouTube. We watch the best movies. That uh, aren't they good?
9: Well, they're chosen. By uh, here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay. Bye. Watch a
1: What's happening? This is your boy Rob Edwards. I'm here to tell you about the fifth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's March 1st through the 7th, 2020, with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week long. Get your tickets on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comments from all over the U.S. Coming for 66 programs in seven days, all here at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission. Or listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st through the 7th for these amazing events.
9: Billy
8: Bob. That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop, Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 499.
6: Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains! Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden.